How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 92 of X Lapsed, where, uh, for the moment, we are no longer on the path to X of Tens. Uh, I don't know how they're labeling some of these, and not others, but uh, I guess we'll just go with what they give us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Excalibur number f- uh, Volume 4, Number 11. It's had an October 2020 cover date. Stories called Blood of the Changeling. Written by Teeny Howard, with art by Marcus Toe. Colors, Eric Arshinaga, letters, VCs, Ariana Marr, designs, Tom Muller, head of X, Hickman, edits, Bisa White, Zabolski, cover price, $3.99, and this one went on sale August 19th of 2020. And before we go on, this is uh, gonna be another one of those episodes where I got something going on in my ears, so everything I'm saying sounds very, very muffled here. I don't know if it's the mic, I don't know if it's my ears, there's something weird going on, so hopefully... I'll be able to keep my volume levels, well, level here and not uh, shout in your ears and not whisper either. So we'll hope for the best here. Let's open this one up. And we open in the woods of Otherworld, where we meet a pair of green priestesses. Now, if you're already confused, well, join the club. Now, they're talking about Shogo the Dragon and how he cries like a baby in need of his mother, because of course he does. He is a baby who would probably want to be with his mother. Next thing we see is Jubilee, who's been captured by these very same green priestesses, and she's, like, trapped inside a tree. I guess these green priestesses have arboreal powers. I don't know. Now, the priestesses ask her if she'll settle down long enough for them to talk, to which Jubilee paffs a whole bunch with her fireworks, which... Pretty much tells them everything they need to know. Then Excalibur shows up, and we get a single splash page depicting a battle between the Green Priestesses and our mutant heroes before hopping to an info page. Now we're in Otherworld, of course, and Opal Luna Saturnine has two different kinds of priestesses. We got priestesses of the white and priestesses of the green. And there are some differences between the two, but I tell you what, I tried getting through this page like a half dozen times, and my eyes glazed over each and every time here. Let's just say they're different. Uh, single page spread of credits here, then a roll call. We'll be focusing on Gambit, Rogue, Richter, Jubilee, Apocalypse, and Betsy Britton. So we return to comics with Betsy chatting up Jubilee in a tree. I guess the battle is just over? Whatever. Uh, Now, she assures Jubilee that Shogo is okay and won't be harmed any further. Jubilee, eh, she ain't so sure. She wants these priestesses dead. And I know it's been a while, but last issue, some of Saturnine's priestesses shot Shogo down, and these were the white priestesses. 
Finally, the Greens decide that Jubilee might not be so much of a threat, and so they release her from her tree jail. It looks like we're on Endor or something. We got like tree houses and all that kind of stuff. And we see Shogo laid out on the ground, and he's really not in a good way. Now, Betsy comments that she'd asked Jubilee if she wanted to take Shogo back to Krakoa for healing. But here's the thing. Shogo the dragon's wound is bigger than Shogo the baby's entire body. So they're kind of concerned here, because if they take him through the gateway and he turns back into a baby, the poor thing might just fall apart or just die out the other end. The team decides to bide their time for a bit, and they're just going to remain here in the green while they plan their next moves. Betsy suggests that, you know, maybe Excalibur just stay here, hang ten, and she will head over to the Citadel all by her lonesome, which is an idea that Rogue ain't too keen on. We jump to that night, where the rest of the team is asleep, Richter begins to stir. He wanders around the woods a bit until he comes across a crystal. Now, he's beckoned to it as a druid by a pair of antlered priestesses. He reaches out and touches it, which somehow puts him in telepathic communication with A. Now, A is fairly insistent that Excalibur get back on task, get to the citadel, and plant that gateway seed. Richter tries to explain the current situation, you know, Shogo getting shot and all. He ain't too keen on it, and he decides that maybe to inspire Richter, he will share a story with him. And I tell you what, it's going to feature some folks that I never thought we'd ever hear from again. Apocalypse tells Richter of his first coven, circa 12th century C.B. I'm not sure what C.B. stands for other than Sobolski. I do know folks that don't care to use A.D. now, use C.E. for common era. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. Whatever the case, Apocalypse's old coven is the Externals. You remember them? Probably not. This is like this is like year one X-Force stuff. Very, very weird. Very, very uh, confusing. And one of those concepts that I thought would never be revisited because it was just so damn inconvenient and confusing the first time around. Anyway, we got Saline, Nicodemus, Friggin' Cruel, Saul, and Kandra. I mean, like I said, we're pulling things out of Liefeld era X-Force. Anyway, Apocalypse talks about how one of them, Kandra, had a plan to extract her own life energy and place it into a stone. Because why wouldn't one want to do that? So Apocalypse and the gang help her with this, and it taught him something about rebirth and the power of a coven over that of the individual... I'm not sure why he feels like this is a story to be told here. And maybe I'm just dense, but I'm not exactly sure what Richter is supposed to glean from any of this. But whatever the case, it seems to have done the trick. Very, very bizarre. We jump to the next morning where Richter informs the team that they, you know, they got to get a move on to the Citadel. After a bit of negotiations, Jubilee will remain in Endor with Shogo. There was some conversation from Betsy to the Green Priestesses talking about how King Jamie doesn't really doesn't really seem to be concerning himself with like war, and uh, the Green Priestesses are like, well, you don't know everything that King Jamie's doing, so maybe uh, maybe a shoe is about to drop, but uh, maybe a sandal because this is not really a big shoe. Anyway, our team plans their journey, and Richter says since they can't fly there, and walking just walking up to the Citadel wouldn't be wise. They're just going to have to take the underground. Richter will dig their way there, and literally one panel later, 
Excalibur bursts out of the ground at the foot of the Citadel, and they're attacked pretty much straight away. Now, Richter asks for the Gateway Seed so he could, quote, get it started. He then causes it to grow some roots, which I didn't realize fell under his powers, uh, though perhaps maybe he did some, like, super enrichment to the soil surrounding the seed? I don't know. I feel like maybe this is something we're not supposed to think too hard about. I, I mean, is he literally a druid now? Is Marvel trying to, like, break Richter into the movies so they need to, like, make sure he's no longer a legitimate mutant? <laughs> he's just a druid now? Who knows? Now, Richter does the thing, and he hurls the root seed, cl- the rooting seed closer to the Citadel, where it does, in fact, manage to grow into a gateway. Now, while the rest of the, the crew fights off some white priestesses, Richter steps through the portal in order to get back to A. Only he winds up falling through some red limbo for a bit, until he and Apocalypse are able to, I don't know, mind merge, mind link, whatever they did. Uh, I guess everything's, you know, good. We jump back to the Citadel, and Betsy and Saturnine are having themselves a chat. I'm not sure how the battle ended, which makes us two for two with this uh, wonky priestess fights just stopping rather than ending in this issue. We had the green priestesses, just the battle was a splash page. It's very similar here with the white priestesses. We don't know how they ended. Saturnine tells Betsy that she liked Brian better as Captain Britain, to which Betsy says, more or less, too bad. That's the big exchange we've been building toward here? Alright, okay. From here, we jump right to our Dawn of X reading order, and then our next issue blurb in Krakoan that we've been wasting a page on ever since the start of this thing, which may make you think we're done. But we're not. It looks like we got us a post credit scene. Hey, it's just like the movies that I hear so much about. This scene kicks off with Rogue and Gambit being, you know, kicked out of Saturnine's quarters or throne room or wherever the hell it is that she hangs out, so that she and Betsy can talk in private. Rogue guides Gambit over to Saturnine's closet so he could steal a bunch of stuff. Eh? I mean, is this supposed to be funny? Is it going somewhere? Whatever the case, we actually wrap up the issue with Gambit looting a closet, finding a deck of cards and a shiny red amulet, and... That's it. That is Excalibur number 11. Uh, Next episode, we will be talking about Wolverine number 4, so, uh, vampires. Yay. Uh, But before we do that, let's talk about this wildly disjointed issue. Um, I gotta say, this felt like just a bunch of incomplete scenes jammed together. Like, none of them actually led to a conclusive beat. Two whole battles with the priestesses that just stopped. It's like, are those pages in another book? Did they fall out of my copy? I mean, it's... And it's a strangely clean stop as well. Like, you turn the page and we're on to the next thing. Without wrapping up what came before. Very, very bizarre. Very unfinished feeling. Uh, Now, Apocalypse's story about the externals also just seemed to stop. And, again, I might be dense, but I'm struggling to realize exactly what the point of it was. Though this might just be one of those, like, things where this would make a whole lot more sense if I was reading it in trade paperback format sort of thing, which, hey, I mean, that's great for people who are doing that, but what about the rest of us, right? And I mean, even the anthology, the Dawn of X anthology books, you're just getting a single issue of Excalibur in there. What are you even building to? Very, very bizarre. Now, the ending scene with Rogan Gambit, 
just like the rest of the book, very disjointed. It almost feels like it was part of a different book altogether. It's so very strange here, and it's it like almost reminds me, while it's you know fresh in my mind here, during Mary X last week, we took a look at the final issue from Chris Claremont's return, uh, you know, in 2001-ish. And he had a bunch of things he needed to fit in, and he did it, damn it. <laughs> it didn't matter how awkward it felt, how weirdly it read, he was going to jam everything in there that he could, because he had to. Is that what we're getting here? I mean, I can't say for sure, but it sure feels like it. We're just cramming and rushing here, and uh, they really could have paced this better. Uh, it just wasn't It just wasn't a satisfying read. It did look nice. I'll give it that all day long. And you know what? The story itself isn't a bad one. I thought the dialogue was really good as well. My main issue here is the pacing. And it's like we're devoting too much paginal real estate to things that may not need it, while at the same time we're awkwardly truncating scenes that might be better off with just a little bit more room to breathe. So that is Excalibur number 11. Next issue of Excalibur is one of the X of Ten's prelude chapters, not even the Path 2. This is like a prelude, an official one. So hopefully business will pick up by then. But that's all I got to say about the issue. Let's hop into the mailbag. We're going to kick it off with Damien, who finished Empire colon X-Men here. So we're going to get his final thoughts on this fourth issue. He says, well, that was the best issue of the series, which may be damning with faint praise. As you said, the scene between the two Explodey Boys was the best part of the issue. Explodey Boy feels like an attempt to come up with a superhero name that a teenager would pick. Sadly, it doesn't really work, and ends up reflecting Bob Haney's use of teenage slang in those old Teen Titans issues. It's painful. Yeah, totally. Um, very good comparison there. I, I, it, it does feel like, you know, I would talk about um, Chris Claremont using... Uh, trying to use slang of the day or actually trying to use slang of yesterday because he wasn't on top of what was hip, I guess, for a lack of a better term. I, I don't think I've ever used the word hip in real life, but uh, here we are. He would use things from like a generation past because he thought that was still relevant. Like when I look at something like Explodey Boy, it reminds me of those that boom of movies we had probably mid to late 2000s where they were like big budget movies but they were trying to make it look like indie so they'd use like that bubble lettering and it would look like something you drew on your traffic keeper right that's kind of what this feels like because it's kind of ironic it's kind of silly and it's it feels it feels horribly dated uh, unless i'm just not hip and this is exactly what the uh the youth of the day would really really dig in which case i'm i, I concede i'm I'm out of touch, but it's uh, it felt instantly dated to me and just very, very cringy. Perhaps not as cringy as uh, Chris Claremont having a character in Sovereign 7 tell Lois Lane to, quote, strike a pose, which came out in, like, uh, probably 1997, refer- you know, referencing a Madonna song from quite a bit before that, but uh, silliness. Um, Damien continues, Jonathan Hickman is not funny. He needs telling. The Madrox scene doesn't work as humor, and it doesn't work as drama. It's really distasteful. And I'm so happy to hear you say that, because, um... I mean, we've talked about the humor in these books and how they're... How it doesn't always land. But, uh... And I've talked about this before, but... 
anytime I make a complaint about basically anything Jonathan Hickman does, there's a contingent that tells me that I just don't get it. And, and, you know, they might be right. Like, maybe Explodey Boy and Jamie Madrox offering up dupe body parts to be eaten by zombies is the height of hilarity. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just don't get it. But that's what I keep hearing from folks. I keep hearing like, oh, this is just Hickman style. You either get it or you don't. Well, I don't. (laughs) And uh, I don't find it funny. I think he's a good writer. I just don't think he's a very funny writer. Uh, I think he's trying too hard to be funny. Um, and again, I'm I'm completely projecting here. I've never met the man. I probably never will. But uh, it just feels like very try-hard sort of stuff here. Jamie Madrox, a guy who back in the early 90s couldn't reabsorb a dupe, and it sent him spiraling into depression, you know, because he lost one. And here we are where he's just stacking, he's stacking arms for zombies to eat so he can get away. Really bad. It's not funny. It's not scary. It's not anything. It's just, it's crap. Uh, Damien wraps up with, in conclusion, I will never read this series again, but I think you're slightly unfair to it saying it's worse than Fallen Angels. (laughs) It's a close one. It's a close one, but gun to my head, if I have to read one of these over again, it's Fallen Angels, because at least it's quick. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it's I can make fun of that, where Empire is just brutal. It is brutal. I will, I will never take these out of the packs again, out of the, uh, out of the poly bags. They are sealed for life. I could stitch these things shut, because they're never coming out again. Fallen Angels, it's not likely I'll ever read it again, but like I said, gun to my head, if I had to pick one, I'm reading Fallen Angels twice. Uh, but thank you so much for uh, for sharing your thoughts there, Damien, and thank you for keeping up with Empire X Men. I know it's I know it wasn't a pleasant read, and I'm sure it wasn't a completely pleasant listen as well. So I thank you so so much. Now next we have uh, we have a message from Mark Green Lantern HG talking about giant size Phantom X. He says, "Great episode, Chris. This character I know nothing about." This came way after I stopped reading X Anything, and talking to a friend, he said the same thing you said. He told me to, quote, imagine Gambit, but with different powers and a mask. I love hearing that, because... And I mentioned this too, Mark, uh, on Twitter, that I thought that I might have to give up my my Grant Morrison fan club card, you know, for daring to compare uh, one of his genius characters to Gambit, who... You know, a lot of us more enlightened uh, comics uh, enthusiasts would uh, discount as just a, a relic of the 90s who doesn't ever need to be seen again. Uh, so I was worried that people might take me to task for that. But, I mean, there are a lot of similarities between the two. It's hard to stop seeing them once you start. So I want to thank you so, so much for writing in about that and for uh, keeping up with... Uh, the show, it uh, really, really means a lot to me. Next, uh, Evan Bevins shares a story about a story that I told back in X-Lapsed episode 63. Now, Evan says, I listened to the episode Excalibur 8, X-Lapsed 63, I believe, where you talked about your comics college class and the guest lecturers, and I wanted to share my own, quote, academic comic experience. Though I took sports and film and science fiction literature, I never got a full-on comics-focused course, but there was an inexplicable entry on comics in my journalism ethics 
textbook. It talked about the state of comics at the time it was written, which was the mid to late 90s, based on perusing a grocery or drugstore spinner rack. I believe one of the, quote, concerns it cited was something like Lady Death or Evil Ernie, some title I didn't know much about and wasn't interested in learning. But it continued to question the ever-rising stakes and threats that resulted in the approach of Onslaught. And I agree that there could be a problem with continuing to raise the threat level to absurd, absurd heights, but if this writer was morally concerned about Onslaught, I hope he or she never perused Irredeemable or The Boys. And the arrival of, the, of a new team, the Justice League of America, which referenced Morrison's JLA No. 1, quote, just to prove that jingoism is alive and well. I did, ma- I did try to make the point in class that the most pertinent connection this class this had to the class was that clearly the writer had not done enough or any research to accurately explore the topic about which they were writing. The idea of attaching America to a team's name had been explored numerous times before that, including when the Justice League title shifted to International and when they introduced Justice League Europe. The inclusion of the name was, as I understood it, a legacy from the JSA, which was born from World War II patriotism. Of course, there are numerous things about that era that didn't age well, but that wasn't one of them. I believe I asked for equal time to rebut, but was sadly turned down by the professor. Now, first, I want to thank Evan so much for uh, for writing in about this. Uh, for folks who don't remember this episode or who are just popping around the uh, the feed here, I discussed a comic, a what was it, a Western literature class I was in with a focus on comic books that I needed as a humanities course while still in community college. And the discussion that we had, uh, we had guest lecturers who told us they were PhDs about seven thousand times in a half hour talk. Um, and what they did was they talked about representation in comics, among other things. Of course, what they really wanted to do was. Um, kind of they wanted to present comics as being racially ignorant um but in doing so they didn't take the time to like evan said they didn't do much if any research on creators on the state of the industry for the books they were citing the risks involved in presenting anything different than you know what the people were reading at the time and nothing about the actual attempts at diversifying the business both on the page and off um because, I mean, at the end of the day, they had a narrative. They had a narrative they wanted to present. And uh, on the face of it, I mean, when you say things, when you make blanket statements about a very niche subject like comics or any hobby, really, the layman in the crowd, or as John Byrne would call them, the civilian, you know, the people who don't know comics inside or out, they're going to just accept it. They're going to be like, oh, well, that makes sense. Right? You know, oh, Justice League of America? Yeah, Jingoism. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because they don't know anything about the history or the industry or anything like that. But when you put someone like us in a room with these folks, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't pass muster. But unfortunately, there's just not a whole hell of a lot you can do. You know, you're not going to say anything that's going to make them change their outlook. They're certainly not going to start researching. If they haven't already, they're not going to start. So it's, uh, they got their story and they're sticking to it. So, hey, it just, it stinks. But, uh, I really love hearing, uh, Evan's, uh, Evan's experience because it's, I'm starting to think that this might be a, uh, a common experience for folks who, who, you know, had the 
pleasure and pain of hearing a little bit about you know their favorite hobby in an academic environment. Now we're going to wrap up with a message from Andrew Franklin, who's talking about cable number two. He says, these Wave 2 books keep on surprising me with how much I enjoy them. Well, except for Wolverine. And yeah, <laughs> I agree. Uh, he continues, Cable is a title I had no interest in. I have little interest in OG Cable solo series, much less a Teen Cable. I thought Teen Cable was a dumb idea, and his depiction in the Dawn of X titles wasn't exactly changing my mind, but this book is fun. I look forward to seeing where this goes. I know space stuff isn't your cup of tea, but I like the inclusion of the ROM stuff. It shouldn't work, but somehow this book does. I hope the next few issues just ramp up the crazy heavy metalness. And yeah, I like I said, I'm not big on ROM. I've got a full run of ROM that I found in a quarter bin and uh, never read it. I've tried reading it. I didn't try too hard. Uh, you know, I, honestly, I didn't. I could have tried harder, but I didn't really try too hard. But what I did see, I, I really wasn't too keen on. Uh, that said, I'm a I'm a sucker for lore, so I love the idea of tying these things together. Just like uh, you know, when they introduced like a Deathlock into uh, Uncanny X Force. I could care less about Deathlock, but I love the the use, just the the lore, the interconnectivity of things. I like that sort of thing. And I like it here. And like you said, this shouldn't work, but it does. It really, really shouldn't work because it's just, it's quite insane, right? I mean, everything that we're seeing in this book is very, very crazy. Who would ever think that a a teenage cable would uh, be able to maintain a series or maintain interest to uh, in a solo adventure, I didn't think so. I mean, like you said, the old cable could barely do that. This teen cable, I, I wasn't happy that he was even a thing that existed. And here we are, really, really enjoying the run. So, really, really digging it. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts as well. Uh, Andrew does wrap up with "Until the Dire Wraiths Return in Empire Two: The Returning, Make Mine Axe Lapsed." I will always read the Make Mine X Lapsed. I love them. I love them. Thank you so much for that. Um, but that is where we will leave it for today. If anyone out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so a couple of different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or at Gmail at 90sXmen at gmail.com. Like I mentioned last episode, I lost access to Weird Comics History at gmail.com, which sucks for a lot of reasons and is literally something I'm losing sleep over. So, uh,. Not happy about that. Hopefully, I'll be able to get back in there soon. But for now, 90sXmen at gmail.com is the contact address for this program. Uh, you could uh, check out blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. We've also got xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could talk about all sorts of stuff on Facebook. If Facebook is a thing that you do, find us at 90sXmen. And you can listen to the entire audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. You know, I've done those plugs 92 times now, and I still stumble through them. I should just tape something and and put it there, but uh, I figure that's probably something a smart person would do. But I'll just keep stumbling through as we we continue. But uh, I think that'll do it. I want to thank everyone so, so much for sharing their time with me and uh, for sharing their thoughts as well. Uh, next time out, it is Wolverine number four. Hopefully we'll be pleasantly surprised by that one, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, I want to thank you all again. And as always, I will talk to you again 
real soon. See ya. Oh